we've been in a series titled, Your New Normal Starts Now. And uh, Pastor Tony has brought some great messages in regards to that. The first work he, week, he talked about death, you can't touch me. Pace, you will not be the boss of me. Distractions, you don't confuse me. And then last week, 2020, you won't hold me back. And as he kind of laid out the vision, the continued vision for the church, that hasn't stopped, no matter what's going on around us. And so we're going to close out uh, this series this, this morning. Now, we all know that the coronavirus has impacted us and people around us in many ways. There's been a combination of the direct effects of the disease on individuals and families, and the indirect effect on financial security, housing, unemployment, and social isolation. It's led to an increase in emotional and psychological challenges worldwide. Worry, stress, fear, anxiety, and other emotional responses. They're really expected at times like this. I mean, we don't even, this, we've never navigated these waters before. And so it's created instability. And as far as those who really suffer from mental illness, there's been an extra pressure that has uh, really seemed to uh, accelerate their condition. An additional challenge to that is that because of uh, social distancing, that people that have needed the proper services uh, that they, they need haven't been able to get them. Uh, I've talked to people who have, you know, they were on a regular schedule to see people and get the services that were available to them, and then they lost their spot, and now they got to try to reapply and get back into routine. And so it's affected a lot of people. It's been more difficult for those certainly that have struggled with uh, mental difficulties. And during the pandemic, about four in 10 adults uh, in the United States have reported symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorders up from one in 10 prior to the pandemic. Many adults reported difficulties in sleeping or eating, increase in alcohol consumption and substance use worsening chronic conditions due to worry and stress. There's been an increase in domestic violence, child abuse, and neglect. Young adults have experienced a number of pandemic-related consequences, such as maybe their schools were shut down, uh, maybe they had a loss of income. It's resulted in an increase in depression, anxiety, distress, and low self-esteem. There's been higher rates of substance use, and suicide and suicidal thoughts. With school and child care centers across the United States being forced to close and transitioning to virtual learning instruction, children and parents have experienced a disruption and change in their daily routine. This has caused many parents to be more concerned with their school-aged children about their emotional well-being than over their academics. Among adolescents, this disruption in routines, loss of social contact, stress in the household and online learning has contributed to depression and emotional stress. Essential workers, such as healthcare workers and, and those that provide for us every day, grocery store employees, mail and package delivery personnel have been affected. Frontline healthcare workers reported increase in anxiety and depression, thoughts of suicide experiencing burnout. Now we have a new disorder that we have to deal with. It's called pandemic reentry anxiety. 
It's people experiencing anxiety by returning to the new normal. What's that going to look like? How do we function under that? What's going to happen here? And as the quarantine restrictions have lifted and uh, people are, more people are vaccinated and we're trying to get back to what the new normal is, there's a concern there. So we're going to take a look at um, how emotional health today. And we're going to take a look at um, how to deal with what you feel. And we're going to take a look at how to manage our emotions. So I've titled the message, Emotions, You Won't Lead Me. Let's take a feeling test this morning. It's very simple. All right? Let me ask you. So what did you feel yesterday? Who felt happy, sad, upset, angry, joyful, thankful, disappointed, depressed, jealous, ambitious, surprised, convicted, hopeful? And the list can go on and on. And so we look at our life and we say, well, yesterday I felt this way. And, and maybe you felt a combination of some of those, or maybe you felt all of them. I don't know, because they're feelings, you know? And maybe that's different today. Maybe you're feeling or concerned about other things today. So we're going to look at emotions you won't lead me, and not allowing emotions to control our lives. It's interesting because we rub shoulders every day with people who are desperate, hurting, and alone. They're lonely. We may not even be aware of the dark road that they're traveling on. Sometimes we notice, often we don't. Sometimes we're busy, preoccupied, maybe overwhelmed by our own stuff, or the person is good at hiding their pain and depression. There could even be people sitting here today or watching online that are struggling. Mental illness, depression, and anxiety can uh, still be a kind of highly stigmatized topic in the church. I don't think the church has done so well in the past of handling people that come in with, with uh, these kind of situations and circumstances. Those that are struggling with despair and depression. And it can be difficult to understand. Um, and what we tend to do is sometimes because we don't understand it, we spiritualize it and we don't really look at it for what it really is. Sometimes it is a spiritual issue. Other times it's not. I thank God for um, the opportunity that my wife and I have had over the years to work with people that have been uh, in, this, in these circumstances and situations. I think back to uh, the group home we started in Queens. And um, what they did was they wanted to start this group home and teach these kids how to live independently. So what they did was they sent the worst kids that they could send. We had a house full of you know, kids that were struggling, man. They were like you know, depression and anxiety and fear. We had a kid in the house who, he was 16 years old and he'd never been to public school. He was institutionalized his whole life. Went to school the first day. Teacher corrected him. Started throwing desks in the, in the classroom. I remember uh, years ago, Janet and Ralph and I, we used to do a ministry at Sagamore Children's Center. It was a psychiatric hospital for children. And we'd go in there and you'd see God, they'd come in depressed and you'd see God lift their spirits. I mean, it was, what a privilege it was to be able to share the gospel with them. I don't know if you remember this, Janet, it was one day. So we're in there and it's a, it's a big auditorium, probably four or 500 seat auditorium, but not that many kids, trust me. Small group of kids, big stage and everything. And they have to come in the back door, which is a long aisle. And this one kid comes in and he's waving. He's coming to church now and he's waving. I'm demon possessed. I'm demon-possessed, right? And I said, that's great. 
Come and sit down. You know what Jesus did with the demon-possessed people? He cast them out. I didn't hear a word out of the kid the rest of the day. <laughs> it was quiet. Quieted right down. And that was funny because in the back in the early 80s, I remember I was working with a church in, church in Nassau County. And now it was, you know, we had Sunday morning service and Sunday night. How many of you remember those days? Okay. I'm glad we're free of Sunday nights. Praise God. Well, anyhow, this Sunday night we're watching... Um, you know, because it was church all day Sunday, and then you go home, you got a bite to eat, and you're back to church. It's like, I, I mean, I believe in keeping the Sabbath holy, but, you know, whatever. I won't get into that. <laughs> so we're watching this movie, and I don't know if you remember the 16-millimeter projectors, the big reel going. So we're watching the movie. Sanctuary's dark. It's a beautiful church. Got a high peak, really churchy looking, you know. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the movie, we see this figure up on the screen going like this, a shadow. It's a guy coming down the middle aisle and he's like making a disturbance. So he makes his way up to the front row and he's watching the movie and all of a sudden he lays down. The next thing I know, I see smoke coming up from his pew. He lit up a cigarette. So the pastor, I'm the youth pastor now, he looks at me, I know what that means. You go handle it. <laughs> so I go up there and I said, hey, sorry, man, you can't... Uh, there's no smoking zone. You can't smoke it. He said, oh, no problem. He butts it out on the carpet. So I knew it was going to be interesting. I couldn't wait till the service ended because I wanted to meet this guy. So just before the movie ends and the lights come on, he makes his way out of, the, out of the aisle and goes to the back. But then when the lights come on, he comes back in. And he's wearing, it's obviously a woman's coat. And it's got a big button in the middle. I knew whose coat that was. That belonged to Flo. All right. Now, Flo would have been fine with the pandemic because Flo was the cleanest person I ever knew. I mean, when she perspired, Clorox bleach came out of her system. I mean, you go to her house, you couldn't find a dust mite, trust me. And I knew Flo would never wear that coat again. But I said, I got to meet this guy. I mean, you know, it seemed interesting, you know, <laughs> right off the bat. So uh, I said, hey, I'm Frank, how you doing? He says, I'm great. I'm the Apostle Paul. I said, oh, okay, Paul. Nice to meet you. He said, yeah, I was um, down in Jerusalem, which is on the South Shore, and I was heading to Jericho on the North Shore, so I needed to stop in Bethpage, and that's where the church was located. So, uh, but, you know, and I got to meet him a little bit and saw him here and there over the years, but I remember people's reaction, like they didn't know what to do with it, and I just kind of threw myself in there, and, you know. I, I addressed him as Paul. I didn't call him the Apostle Paul, I didn't think, but I figured, oh, maybe his name is Paul, so we'll go with that. But although many Christians know the trial of occasional anxiety and depressed feelings, people with a diagnosed mental uh, disorder face really unique challenges. Charles Spurgeon once said, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over and over each hour. And the psalm that we're going to look at today belongs to a Levite. He, that Levite was just, he was part of the Levite tribe. His name was Asaph. And he was one of David's three uh, chief musicians in the court. He was a worship leader. He was a guy that was going through a great time of despair and affliction. And it's a powerful passage, I think, that has counseling verses for those that have a hurting soul. He captures vividly the complexity of human pain 
yet in wisdom manages to find relief in God, even when he doesn't get a direct response from God. He takes us through some, some pretty uncensored emotional and physical responses to suffering. Now, the psalm never really reveals to us what Asaph is battling with and what he's going through, but um, it's definitely a painful circumstance. And I want to look at Asaph's fit, uh, set strategy for fighting discouragement and doubt and darkness. So let's look at how Asaph has, has, the, has confidence or faith in God, and um, even when it seems like God is silent. Have you ever had those moments where you just were crying out, God, I need to hear from you, I need to hear from you. It seems like God's not there. Well, I want to tell you something, that Asaph was right at that point. He was crying out for God, he was looking for God, and he felt like God wasn't showing up. So let's look at Psalm 77, verses 1 through 4. It says, I cried aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled, I cannot speak. And we see in this psalm, you sense the heaviness. He's talking about sleepless nights and weary mind and troubled heart. He moans, he faints, he cries out to God. He's tired, he's hurt, and he's caught in a physical cycle of physical and um, painful cycle of, of physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion. Pained emotions on the inside become stronger than any spoken word. And he says in here, I'm troubled. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. The words wouldn't come out. This passage records a realistic person, a picture of a person living in pain. We find him openly and sincerely broken. And though Asaph is emotionally paralyzed by the pain that he's experiencing, we can witness the next few verses. And it's fascinating to see a transition that takes place from outward silencing pain to an inward spiritual song. And I believe that the psalmist shows us different ways to have confidence in God when you're struggling emotionally and it seems like God is silent. The first thing I see is be honest with God through prayer. Notice, I didn't say just pray, but I said be honest with God. In verse 1, he said, I cried aloud to God. In other words, what it really means is I yelled out to my God. I yelled it with all my might. I yelled to the top of my lungs. And then in verse 2, it says, trouble, uh, the word trouble describes a feeling of being confined. It's as if the walls were closing in on him or he was in a dark tunnel with no light at the end of that tunnel. And he's experiencing this, but he cries out to God. A number of years ago, I um, met someone that, uh, th this, uh, this woman actually started coming to church while she visited because her daughter had been invited by a neighbor to come to a mother-daughter bank when my wife was speaking at it. So she came and, you know, with her daughter to support her and she wanted to find out what was going on. And she showed up here and there and, I had a conversation with her one day, and she said to me, you know, God could never accept me. God could never love me. I said, oh, really? Why is that? She goes, oh, you don't know what I did. I said, well, do you want to tell me? <laughs> I was interested then, you know. <laughs> she said, I went to Smith's Point. 
I went to Smith's Point and I was such, at such a low point in my life and I looked at my life and I saw the struggles and difficulties that I'd been through and she says, I cursed God out. I called him every name in the book. I let him have it. I didn't hold back. She said, God could never love me or accept me. And I looked at her and I said, you know what God was saying back to you that day? I love you. I still love you. Short while after that, she gave her life to Christ and became a believer. But she was at a point where she didn't feel like, you know, she had like, and I wouldn't encourage that. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say that's a good thing to do. But you know what? God doesn't get nervous, okay, when we're honest with him. And we can be honest in our emotions with God. And he said, so Asaph said, I cried aloud to God. He's sending an SOS. God, I need help. And he didn't go and, you know, he didn't go and kind of numb his situation through something else or ignore it away. He prayed to God honestly. Alexander McLaren was an English minister in the 1800s, and he said, doubts are better put into speech than lying diffused and darkening like poisonous mists in the heart. A thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it's made articulate. And when our lives are dark, God wants us to be honest with him in prayer. Let me tell you something. God can handle your honesty. He really can. And if you're going through something, you can't drink it away, laugh it away, sleep it away, party it away, buy it away, ignore it away. The path to peace is to give it away. And you give it to God in prayer. Days of trouble and difficult emotions must be days of honest prayers. And then he goes into verse 3 and 4 and he uses the words, I moan, my spirit faints, can't sleep, can't speak. And then we go on in verses 5 and 6, he said, I considered the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit will make a diligent search. And as he looks back, and we know he's looking back because he's talking about days of old and long ago, okay? And in verse 6, he says, let me remember my song. Let me remember and meditate in my heart. So he's, he's beginning to look back and, and, and this is his personal journey and experience with God. His song in the night is a personal heritage of faith, a remembering of God's faithfulness throughout history and in his own personal life. And it brings him up to the present. Remember, Asaph was a worship leader. He wasn't looking to write a new song. He was going back to what he knew and what he remembered, what anchored his soul and mind during troublesome times. He was trying to regain perspective. And he makes a choice to redirect his thoughts. And that's what we need to do also. We need to redirect our thoughts. And he's making a diligent search for God. And verses 7 through 9 says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end of all, for all time? Has God forsaken, forgotten to be gracious? Is he in anger? Shut up his compassion. So as he begins to think about this, he begins to question whether God still is with him. God, have you changed? Does God care? Do your promises apply to me? And I just want to tell you that fear and depression and despair and sadness and grief will ask those very same questions. But we can't get stuck there. We need to move forward and let faith answer those questions 
And the way faith answers those questions is found in the scriptures. Which brings me to the second way Psalm 77 calls us to have confidence uh, during God's silence. It's to remember God through his word. As we go on in this psalm, it says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And so Asaph's strategy, uh, and it's interesting because if you look back, something happens between the beginning of that psalm and where we're at right now. There's a transition that's taking place. He was, he's so low and discouraged in the beginning and questioning God that God even cares or left, left him out. And in verses 11 and 12, we see his strategy for fighting against it, against discouragement and doubt and darkness is to remember and ponder and meditate on God's deeds, wonders, and his works. And though the Bible doesn't use the word depression, except in a few translations and maybe a couple of verses, it's often referenced by other similar words, such as downcast, brokenhearted, troubled, miserable, despairing, mourning, uh, and, and, and many other words. And throughout God's word, there's a number of stories about godly, influential men and women of faith who battled through times of darkness and hopelessness and depression. And many of us, like I said, we may be struggling there today. I want to remind you that you're not alone. God's people have suffered mentally, emotionally, and spiritually since the fall. And what happens is, many times, is when we feel depressed or a person's going through depression, depression will cause you to isolate yourself. You don't want anyone to know what's going on in your life. You don't want anyone to know you're down, so you isolate yourself. And that's really, you know, I think the enemy uses that in a lot of ways because we're not supposed to isolate ourselves, all right? And when we begin to speak openly about emotional and mental health issues, it allows others to share their stories and it enables us to care for one another. It doesn't have to be a secret. We all struggle, some more than others. There's a verse in Galatians that says, bear one another's burdens. And you know, sometimes we picture that as I'm carrying this heavy weight, I got this heavy burden that I'm carrying, I'm struggling under the weight of it and I can't seem to you know, get rid of it. And it's not like somebody comes along and takes it off of me, but they come along and they help me carry it. And that's really what the church should be all about. So instead of pushing people away because of where they're at emotionally, I think we need to be open and accepting and loving people. I just very quickly want to mention seven stories about depression from the Bible so we can remind ourselves that we're not alone in our battles. David was troubled and battled deep depression. Elijah was discouraged, weary, and afraid. Jonah was angry and wanted to run away. Job suffered through great loss, um, devastation, and physical illness. Moses grieved over the sins of his people. Jeremiah wrestled with great loneliness, feelings of defeat and insecurity. And even Jesus himself was deeply anguished over what lay before him. As he got closer and closer to the cross, and then we find him in the garden, and we know the struggle that what Jesus had to go through there. He had to, he, it was a battle of the wills. 
Now, Jesus know, knew what was to come. He knew that God had called him to a journey of great suffering. And he knew that he knew what must happen so that you and I could live in freedom. Our Lord and Savior was willing to pay the price on our behalf, but it wasn't an easy road. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We can be assured that whatever we face, Jesus understands our weakness and suffering, our greatest times of temptation and despair. Jesus has dealt with trouble. He knows what rejection is. He knows what betrayal is. And yet he walked that road without sin. And that's why we can go to him. That's why he does understand us. And scriptures remind us that God is near. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now to be clear, Asaph doesn't find relief from his circumstances. His circumstances don't change. For all you English majors who are paying attention to the pronouns in this psalm, you saw how in the first half when things weren't going very well, that there are 18 occurrences of the first person singular pronoun, I or me, and only six references to God. However, as he begins a transition and come out of this and begin to look to God, you see in verses 13 to 20, there are 21 occurrences of God and no personal uh, references at all. He begins to get his focus off himself and where he's at. And he begins to look at who God is. See, we need to magnify God to diminish our problems. If I got a big problem that I'm going through and I focus just on that problem, then God becomes small in that situation. But when I, when I begin to focus on God and make him big in my life, that problem begins to diminish. So he recalculate, recalculates his soul. In verses 13 through 15, it says, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You, and your, you, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And Asaph is, closed, is choosing to meditate on the deeds of a sovereign and loving God instead of looking at his situation through the lens of his feelings. See, what happens is that emotions will manipulate us if we allow them to. If we buy into the whole emotional thing, then, it, then, then that's got us. You know what I mean? And, and it'll manipulate our lives. So this is Asaph choosing to call to mind God's deeds, his wonders and works of the past which gives them confidence in God for the present. And regardless of how you feel, God isn't and never has been and never will be silent in your pain because where scripture speaks, God speaks. What this means is when what you see or feel doesn't match up with what God said in his word, always go with what God said. You may feel like God is going to reject you forever, Yet he said in Psalm 94, 14, for the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. And to that I say, go with what God said. You may feel like God will never again be favorable to you. Yet he said in Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God um, is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is upright. Go with what God said. 
You may feel like God's steadfast love uh, for you has ceased. Yes, yet in Psalm 103, 7, it says the steadfast love of God is, your everla- is, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Go with what God said. You may feel like God's forgotten to be gracious, yet he said in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Go with what God said. You may feel like God has stopped his compassion toward you. Yet in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Go with what God said. So when we see or feel doesn't match up with what God said in his word, excuse me, we always go with what God said. See, our faith is not based on what we see or want or feel. Our faith is based on the goodness, character, and the nature of God. So as for Asaph, he finishes out his psalm, he begins to remember and list some of the greatest acts of grace uh, and, and power in the scriptures that characterize God's dealing with his people. He actually looks back 500 years and he remembers how God was there. You know, it's interesting because in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when King Jehoshaphat got news that these armies were coming against him and they were going to overpower them and they were going to destroy them, what he did was he went to prayer and he began to t- remind God, not that you got to remind God, but he began to quote back to God, God's promises. God, you promised that when we were here, you're going to be there. And he just kind of, and he got all the people rallied up to believe that God was going to be there with them. And so Asaph does this. He, 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 he said, God, you brought, Israel, you brought Israel out of Egypt in verse 15. You divided the Red Sea uh, before them in verses 16 and 19. He said, you destroyed the Egyptians, verses 17 and 18. He said, you took your people under your own guidance and protection, verse 20. And I love that passage in verse 19. It says, your way was through the sea, and he's referring to the Red Sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And even though the people couldn't see God's actual physical presence there, God was with them all the way. His footprints were all over what happened. This was found on a, um, written on a wall after the Holocaust. He said, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. I believe in God even when he's silent. And I want to encourage you to, and let you know that, you know what? You may not feel or you may not hear or sense that God is there, but go into his word and begin to read and remind yourself of who God is and what he's done and who you are to him. In 1860, there was a poet and songwriter named Anna Warner. Anna's sister Susan was caring for a, a dying child, and so she wrote her sister a letter and said, would you write a poem to comfort this child who's dying? And to this dying child, Anna began to pen the most comforting word she could think of. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She felt like that was the greatest message that she could give that dying child. That child would know that Jesus loved her and that, he, and that the child knew that it was in the Bible. 
So we need to be honest with God through prayer. Remember God through his word. Remind ourselves that we're not alone. We need to magnify God to diminish our problems. And we need to go with what God said. I don't know where life finds you. I don't know, you know, uh, what's going on in your life and what you're dealing with emotionally. But I want to tell you something. God is walking alongside you. He's your friend and he understands. And maybe this is a message for someone watching online. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, sitting at, you're sitting at home and you're just, man, I'm so down today. You know what? Remind yourself of who God is and let him lift you up and let him strengthen you and let him help you through what you're dealing with today. I thank God that his word covers every aspect of life. There's not a thing that God doesn't deal with in the scriptures. And he deals with depression and emotional situations. And he gives us a way out. Lord, I thank you for your people today. And I thank you for your word that brings so much help and encouragement to us. And Lord, I just pray for anyone that would be struggling this morning emotionally. God, that you would undergird and strengthen them, that you'd hold them up. And God, that they would just sense your presence. I thank you for your word that guides and directs and strengthens our life. And Lord, we make a decision today to follow you and to follow your word. And I just pray your blessing and your encouragement over people today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.